Good afternoon and welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Leadership Tools and Strategies. Today we are exploring the art of responsible communication with our guest, Dr. Dave Raymond from the University of Oregon. So thrilled to have you in. As always, I am your host, Todd Greer, Executive Director of CenterVision Leadership Foundation. So excited, as always, to be able to encourage you to take part in what is an uh, amazing discussion. We're, we're going to be talking about art, uh, in art in a new way. A-R-T, we'll explore what that is here in just a second. But if you get intrigued by what you're hearing today, and I know you will, uh, I'll ask you to join us on Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern as we engage in hashtag nonprofit chat. It's a great opportunity to take the concepts and the constructs we've been talking about and dig deeper and think about how does this apply in your organization. As well, I want to remind you about the next issue of CenterVisionLeadership.org's uh, hashtag or CenterVisionLeadership.org slash magazine, nonprofit performance magazine. Our March issue was on millennials in the nonprofit world. Our June issue, which is uh, right around the corner now, is looking at, excuse me, is looking at giving for impact. So we really want to focus in on giving for impact. All right. Without further ado, Dave, welcome into the program. So thrilled to have you with us. Hi, Todd. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the, the chat. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as a background to our guests that are, are watching along with us here, tell them a little bit about who you are and where you come from. Sure, happy to do so. Um, I'm currently an assistant professor of public relations at the University of Oregon. So I teach undergraduate students uh, here in our main campus in Eugene, and also teach graduate students who are full-time working professionals uh, in Portland and our urban campus. Uh, I come to the academy with about 20 years of professional experience. Uh, the bulk of that is working um, inside Fortune 250 corporations, focused mainly on financial communications, uh, but also have some background as well working uh, in consulting firms and agencies. So pretty diverse experience. Uh, again, most of that is grounded in corporate, business, and finance, but have certainly also consulted with lots of nonprofits and served on multiple boards and committees. So I hope some of what I share today is really helpful for those who are listening. Absolutely. So Dave and I have been conversation partners now for a couple months, actually, been engaging in, in some really interesting topics that I think cross the boundaries of our typical sectors, whether we're talking about the for-profit, the academy, our community, or our nonprofit organizations. We've talked a lot about the importance and the value of communication. And so when we were looking at the importance of leadership communication, Dave was an easy choice for us to go to to bring this conversation to light. Um, Dave, Dave has, has really been in this realm for quite some time. He, he looks young, so you know he'll surprise you a little bit with the, uh, the wisdom he's gonna bring forward here. But Dave, I know your, your recent book focused on the art of responsible communication. And, and in that, you kind of focus on the sense of values-driven leadership and um, three key components, and it's the ART. If you would, would you just step us through briefly the ART of, of this art of, of responsible communication? Sure, Todd, I'm happy to do so. And actually, I'm going to back up just a little bit and give you a little bit of context about this particular book. Um, having come out of uh, you know a couple of decades of um, some pretty aggressive and fast-paced work in the business world, mm -hmm. and then transitioning uh, to higher education, what I really wanted to do is stop and pause and think about 
all of those experiences that I've had as a professional communicator and all the executives and executive directors that I've worked with, all of that coaching that I've done over the years to try to bound that up in one book um, because I just didn't see a book out there that was quite like that. So that was really the impetus for this book. Um, again, the title is The Art of Responsible Communication, Leading with Values Every Day. So really two concepts that I'd like to talk about before I jump into what the art means um, and really two messages that I want to leave you today. One is that uh, it's really my belief that communication is a leadership responsibility and that is it is not a task or a function that you delegate. Uh, you may have the luxury of a, a PR coordinator or marketing director or whomever it may be and certainly that's that person's primary role and responsibility. Uh, but you as an executive director, you as whatever role you are in your organization or in your nonprofit, um, at the end of the day, you have an enormous communication responsibility. And my book really gets into the specifics that, uh, that that responsibility entails. The other piece, though, that I'll leave you with today is that I'm not here to talk about specific answers per se. Um, certainly, I do that in my coaching and consulting to, to get into very specific situations. More so, what I want to leave you with today are some ideas about actions that you can take. Um, hopefully in your day-to-day -day work, that'll help improve um, that level of what I would call responsible communication. So a long setup to answer your uh, question earlier, Todd, sorry about that. Uh, but the question that you asked was, the title is The Art of Responsible Communication, and what does art stand for? Well, as I was starting to write this book, I was thinking about what are those qualities that I always looked for in the executives that I coached on their own communication responsibilities, and I was playing around and really got to the concepts of accessibility, responsiveness um, and transparency mm -hmm. and uh, just by happenstance I, I'm not an acronym person uh, <laughs> but one of my mentors uh, who I was sharing the idea with the book with said you know that spells art right and I said well I guess it does and the funny thing is that I always thought of leadership and management as both science and art um, sure. mostly in business schools even uh, in the journalism school where I teach we're teaching a lot of very technical skills, analytics, numbers, and all that sort of thing. Um, sometimes we tend to forget about the art of what we're doing in terms of people-to-people -people interaction, um, taking responsibility, and all those sorts of things. So that was really uh, that's really a quick definition of how that title came to be. Yeah, that's fantastic, and I, I think this is really interesting. And and you bring this out, and I know uh, I believe it was Max Dupree who had the leadership as an art uh, book sometime back. But a lot of times we want uh, we want simple things that we can replicate over and over again because we like things to be we like things to be identifiable. We like them to be something that we can project going forward. And, and one of the challenges of communication is it doesn't always work like that. Uh, you know, when when we are experiencing changes in our organization, uh, when we're talking about onboarding a new team member, uh, when we're talking about a fundraising drive, uh, those are all pieces uh, that you can't just set something in motion and leave it there. It, it really takes uh, the art as you refer to it. If you would, Dave, take us a little bit deeper here. Now, when we think about this idea of accessibility, what does that look like from a leadership communication uh, platform or a leadership skill here? Sure. Um, you know, accessibility sounds very easy by definition, but by practice, we all know it's incredibly difficult. What I talk about in the book is how we're, you know, increasingly consumed by our connectedness. Uh, we have emails, information, analytics coming at us all day long. You have you have decisions that you make in every waking hour of your business life and frankly in your personal life too about what you prioritize and and to whom you give access and one of the challenges that i put forth in the book is that you as a leader have 
really unprecedented access to information, um, to data, uh, to, to the feedback that people need. And so you're making conscious choices all day long, um, really through, the, through a matter of time management and priority in terms of what you are and what and to whom you are giving uh, access, accessibility to. What does that really mean though? By being more accessible, um, yes, having that open door, um, means that you're going to be able to respond to those situations that are happening. And we'll talk about responsiveness in just a second. But it's that ability to respond to whatever a situation, um, a concerned constituent, a donor, a volunteer, whatever the issue might be, your ability to respond to that situation in real time and in the real moment then sets you up to be able to operate more efficiently, right? Mm -hmm. More accessible you are, that ultimately should hopefully lead to more efficiency. And at the end of the day, what that really translates to is freeing up the time and making the priority around innovation. And uh, I certainly know from my own consulting and my own volunteer experiences, um, and it is not to be critical of nonprofits, because it's true of any organization, it's really hard to innovate. Um, but in my opinion, innovation really starts with being accessible. If I've closed myself off to an interaction with you, if I've closed myself off to an issue that happens to be developing, I have literally put up a barrier, not only to resolving that situation today in the moment, but closing off any possibility of innovating down the road. So it's really about a conscious day-to-day -day, um, time management prioritization. And I think this is really interesting, particularly in light of some of the changes that we've seen even in um, office setup. We're seeing more of that open office environment where executives are, are placed more into a bullpen type fashion uh, with the folks that they're working with. Is that, a, is that a real key, do you think, into gearing us towards that more accessible environment that you're looking at? I think it's a key. I think it can also drive you crazy. And I was going to say, there is a flip side to accessibility, right? Because if, mm -hmm. if you're always, maybe I, I would use the term always available, um, do we sometimes hold our people back from growth? So I guess maybe where's that fine line of, well, you know, accessible, but not overly accessible? Sure. And I would like to believe that that comes from your own instinct and from your own experience as a leader. You have not become a leader in your organization because you're horrible at time management prioritization. The trick becomes, though, over time, and certainly it happened in my own career, the larger and larger your team gets, the easier and easier it is to get just sucked up by, by all that's happening. Um, and again, you have to have a gameful plan for every day. I talk in this book about leading with values every day. Um, I could have just left it at leading with values, but to me it's every day, every hour. And yes, it may mean at times that um, you're in a difficult situation because you have to, you know, to put a volunteer issue ahead of, of something that a board member needs. Yeah. That's a conscious decision that you're making based on your expertise and your insight. You have to have the confidence and the courage in order to do that. And that's not easy, and that's why you're a leader. That's a great point. I appreciate that. Um, you moving in here to responsiveness because I think the one really dovetails very nicely into the, into the next. Sure. What, what does this concept of responsiveness look like and how, I guess, does it differentiate from just accessibility? Sure. Um, you had mentioned earlier that I look young, which I appreciate, Todd, because I, I am not feeling young these days. <laughs> um, but back in my late 20s, uh, this is sort of where this first came to mind for me. Um, I had a supervisor. His name is Dan. He's still one of my most trusted and valued mentors. And it was the first time in my professional career 
Um, and really, even in my working life, if, if you think back to your own part-time jobs in high school, it was really the first time that not only was someone accessible for me, um, but Dan was also uh, responsive. He made decisions. I wasn't always happy with those decisions, but it was the most clarifying experience so far of my career. To this day, I still have never had a supervisor or a leader like him. Um, his ability to, to make those decisions or to work with me on making decisions and making them very quickly meant that we can not only get a lot more done for our team and our organization, it also just made, made me feel really good. <laughs> you know, it made me feel like, uh, you know, he cared about my work and knew that my work was important. And I think he understood, which is what I try to get across with the principle of responsiveness, is that at the end of the day, your number one priority is to be able to set direction, to provide approval, or to get roadblocks out of the way. Hmm. You're a leader in an organization for one of those three reasons. You are to be approving things, um, setting direction, or hopefully clearing the path when obstacles come along. That's great. That's great. So when, when we think about that responsiveness, and you brought this out, there are times that being responsive allows us to uh, hit things before they grow into problems, but that doesn't always mean that we're, we're going to have our team around us thrilled with our responsiveness and the way that we respond. So as a leader, I think coming back to uh, your statement, you're a leader for a reason. So looking at that backbone as, as a, a real key to, to this work. Awesome. And you bring up an excellent point. You know, I, I, I'll talk about this probably a little bit later in our conversation. I recently have cycled off a couple of uh, boards that I'd been serving on for several years uh, because I had moved out here to the West Coast. And my experience is not dissimilar from anyone else's serving on a board. Some parts of that experience are really gratifying and many parts of it are, are just simply frustrating. Yeah. Um, as an outside board member, I think sometimes you're not always sure you have access to all the information that you need. But probably the number one frustration is just a sense of, is anyone responding to my, to my counsel, to my input, or to my concerns? And I would like to say that not only as someone who's, you know, most recently served on a couple of boards, mm -hmm. but as a volunteer, as a donor, and as all of those things. Um, I think it's really challenging for anyone who's running a nonprofit or frankly running any sort of organization um, to try to stay responsive because you have to be responsive to so many people in so many different situations. Um, it's really, really difficult. But again, you should be thinking with every opportunity that comes across your desk, with every issue, I should be handling this in one of three ways. I should be helping set direction. Um, I should be clearing a path for people if there are obstacles. Um, or, I should be, or I should be just you know, approving things. Hmm. And if I can't approve things and have trust in the folks who are on my team, then I've got bigger issues to deal with. And that's probably another book I'll have to write. <laughs> well, it's good to have a follow-up book, right? Sure. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's really interesting here because when I think about that concept of responsiveness, sometimes the answer is no. You know, or, or sometimes the answer is not now. But, but I think that there's something here about saying no or saying not now, actually responding to people rather than letting something hang in the background and feeling like you're, you're not heard. Definitely. Um, you know, I think, it would be our, I think it would be our gut instinct to think that hearing no isn't really a response. Of course it's a response. And to your point, no doesn't have to mean forever. It yeah. just may mean for right now. I talk a lot with people when I coach them and consult with them on communication issues in their organization that really at the end of the day, it's all about taking a very long view, like the longest view you possibly can, while being decisive as you can in today's moment. Because for every minute, hour that you let pass by without any sort of, or sort of decision, 
you're doing absolutely nothing to take care of the future. So now you've, now you've let two things go away, right? So indecisiveness, lack of responsiveness, I think it's the number one challenge for sure. That's big, that's big. And then your, your third piece to this art puzzle is, is transparency. Uh, talk a little bit more about what transparency looks like in organizations, Dave. Sure, wow, and isn't this one of the most cliched words ever, right? And here I am trying to, trying to bring life back into it. Um, <laughs> You know, we, we talk a lot when we talk about leadership about that own leaders, their own personal transparency. You know, are they living their values? Are they, you know, modeling the right behavior and all those sorts of things? And I talk about those, those aspects in the book. What I also talk about in the book and what I like to talk about when I coach and consult is the importance of um, uh, having as much of an open gate as possible with what I talked about earlier, all that information that you uh, control um, all of that access that you control to information, to data, to donor records, to whatever it might be, to really thinking about what is it that holds me back from being able to share this information. Understandably, there might be human resources issues, uh, federal laws, local regulations, whatever it might be, that don't allow you to open up as much information as possible. But it's that willingness to think about creative ways to share information. So for example, I help support a, uh, an organization that had roughly 300 employees. And uh, at that particular time, the, the company president was not interested in sharing um, sales figures. So none of the employees really knew what the sales volume was for the organization. However, what we did know were percentages. So those numbers were recalculated into percentages. So it, we at least had some bearing, right? And so it's just thinking maybe a little bit more creatively about here how you're managing and leading. Um, again, there may be particular reasons why you can't be transparent about a certain issue, a certain trend, whatever it might be. But I think you can talk thematically, and I think you can give people what I would call just more sort of general direction about what's happening rather than just stonewalling. So I mean, I think that's the worst thing you can do is just to just stonewall. That's a great point, and, and I think uh, a lot of times uh, the transparency issue comes into a place. Uh, when we're talking about maybe changes in the organization from a downsizing, I know we went through uh, really about a decade and a half, almost two decades, where downsizing was such a overused term uh, in, in our nomenclature that, that people just died out on it. Um, but, but I think this is really interesting. Our, uh, one of uh, the individuals that helped really move and found Center Vision is a gentleman by the name of Andy Morikawa. Andy uh, was a former... Uh, director of the Community uh, Foundation of the New River Valley in the, uh, the Blacksburg, uh, Virginia area. Andy is a, a fellow at the Institute for Policy and Governance at Virginia Tech. And in our first issue of, of our magazine, Andy, one of his core things in board governance is he talks about that concept of transparency. And he says it's really important for a board to be very transparent about money and power. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think, Dave, to your point, um, it's also incumbent upon the, the executive uh, to be transparent on these issues as well because we, we can't hide behind them, particularly in the light of us providing social good and social benefit. Uh, it's really, really imperative for us. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll share a metaphor that uh, maybe some of the listeners can uh, you know, understand. Maybe they have students or um, children of their own who are off to college or will be soon. Um, you know, I, I'm primarily teaching undergraduate students who, uh, who have to deal with real roommate situations, right? 
And developing a relationship with a roommate is probably no different than trying to develop a relationship with that volunteer, that, that donor, um, that new board member, that committee member, whatever it may be. That ability to just open up a little bit um, tells you that I trust you. And once I share a little bit, you'll probably share a little bit more with me. And that's how we build trust over time. And that's, you know, that's the basics of transparency and trust. What does that really do for us, though? In my mind, that really helps us solve problems or issues, right? Everyone's had a bad roommate in their life. Um, every roommate situation has problems. Um, if I can't trust you and be a little bit transparent and open up, we can't ever resolve these issues. But man, if we can resolve these issues and get by what's troubling us here in the moment, what we can really get to is having a relationship that performs the way that you and I both want to, which means we can have, we can accomplish whatever it is that we want to do for that amount of time that we're going to be roommates or that we're going to be volunteers together or that we're going to be board members or whatever it may be. So to me, it's a little bit of a progression. Um, I open up a little bit and I become more transparent. That helps build a relationship that allows us to start problem solving together. And then ultimately, I think that really does help with overall performance. And you keyed it in on a word here that I, I really want to make sure that we bring back to light, that word trust. Um, th there is a sense of, of, of trust building that, that goes on here. I, I can think about boards or, or organizations, leadership, uh, where there's been this key issue that sits underneath the surface and there's not enough trust for people to, to really be transparent about how they feel, about where they're at and how they go forward. So uh, that's a real key to this, Dave. Thank you for, for bringing that part out. Sure, definitely. Yeah, um, and now this is where the, the book begins to shift. So you start and you set the book up really well, and I know you, you've um, used this in your practice as well, about the ART, and we think about uh, accessibility, and we think about uh, responsiveness and transparency, and then we start thinking about how does this look as we enact relationships. And, and I know in your, in your book, you're actually looking at a number of different relational levels that we may find ourselves in, whether it's the supervisor, subordinate, or peers, or us and an outside person. You know, you can think about those types of things. You include what I think are some really powerful characteristics that govern a, a good working relationship. And I just want to take a couple of these off and then I, I would love to dive into some of these a little bit more as time allows us. Sure. Uh, you, you talked to about committing to shared principles, which is so important uh, in this, uh, this line of work. You talk about as a leader modeling the desired behavior. You talk about the importance of holding peers accountable about listening and responding in person, and then working to foster a dynamic culture. Now, I'm going to admit for just a second, we could probably spend the next five weeks of the nonprofit exchange going through those five things. But but where does this come out, David? I mean, do, do we see oftentimes that, that these things are lacking, or, or do we just see not enough focus given to them? Or where, what do you see in the work that you've done? Uh, it's a great question. I mean, my sense, not only um, in nonprofits, but certainly in the business world as well, is that everything is moving so quickly anymore. And there's so much that we need to accomplish, and often with fewer resources, that we're just constrained, right? Um, we want to do all these things, and we want to be the best possible leaders that we can, but we're having to make conscious choices every day about how we can most efficiently move our organizations forward. One of the principles that you just mentioned here uh, briefly was the one about fostering a dynamic culture. 
And so what I like to tell leaders and organizations, and frankly, the, the, the folks who follow them in the organizations, is to always remember that communication and, and work itself is dynamic. It is not a static process. It is not one way. Um, very few decisions are ever final. Um, so when I talked earlier about being responsive and being decisive, that doesn't mean that that's going to be the end of that discussion. It's hopefully just the start of that discussion. And I think the more that we can embrace that things are very fluid um, and that things should be dynamic. I mean, we should get done with the end of our work at the end of the day and, and be exhausted in a good way yeah. and not feel overwhelmed. Um, we should be really excited about that exchange that has happened um, because we feel the information flowing. We feel honest connections happening and we feel that tomorrow even more can happen because, oh my gosh, so much already happened today. I'm really into folks having dynamic cultures. I think if you look honestly at your organization, your nonprofit, and you think we're as stable and, and static as can be, I, I'm not sure that's a good thing. Mm. That's, I think that's important for us to think about is, uh, particularly in light of, as you put it, that we're in, Peter Vale used to use the term, how about this? Peter Vale used to use constant white water. Uh, yep. And I always thought that was such a, an important visual because you think about when you're in white water, if you're on, on those rapids, um, you're, you're aware. I mean, you have to be aware. You can't afford to, to sit back and relax. So there, there's something about being hypersensitive, hyper aware, fast moving, making quick, responsive uh, steps to be able to make sure we're doing that. And then, of course, obviously the accessibility and transparency piece. So that's... That's really important. Uh, I want to I want to step and just use about two minutes here, if you would, on that the importance of committing to shared principles because this is one of those things that I think often goes undiscussed in an organization. Whether we're talking about our values or our principles, and, and sometimes interchangeably, sometimes not. How important is that, and, and what happens if we're not committed to these shared principles, Dave? I mean, yeah, I mean, I would absolutely argue that if you don't have shared principles, you don't have an organization, mm. you don't have a team, you don't have a group, you have a bunch of people doing their own things, and, and none of that's moving towards a common vision. So, I mean, I think it's huge and it's fundamental, and you'll see that time and again in any of the research that you see about teams and groups. Uh, the fundamentals of teamwork is about having shared principles and shared values. Um, is that easy to do? Is it easy to navigate? No, and to your point, we could probably spend the next five weeks talking about that topic too. Yeah. Um, what I can offer though, and what I, what I alluded to at the beginning of our broadcast today, is I wanted to leave people with some very specific actions, and I think there's really three of them. Um, number one is to take accountability for the results of your organization or the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. Sometimes things are good, sometimes things are bad. The more you can just take accountability for where that organization is at in this particular moment, allows everyone else the room to breathe and to then focus on moving forward. The number two thing for me, or, or what I like to give in terms of advice, is acting with good, purposeful intent. So we may unconsciously do things throughout the day that make others in our organizations feel neglected or overlooked. It's that ability to be mindful and to really think about how you as a leader are impacting the tone within your organization. If I tell everyone that I need to have four hours to myself in my office because I can't be bothered, you're telling everyone else in that organization that everything that they do is less important than you. I think it's one of the worst things that you can do. So just acting with good intent. Um, and then finally, proactively addressing issues. I've worked with a good number of nonprofits over the years, and I would say a large percentage of those organizations were not willing to identify and proactively address 
issues that were either starting to happen in their organizations or they knew were coming down the road. Mm -hmm. And those might have been all sorts of different organizational issues, uh, fundraising challenges, whatever it might be. But again, it's taking accountability for where you're at and helping everyone own, how are we going to move forward? That's what a good leader does, in my opinion. That's a great point. And to that last one, I know earlier in our conversation here, you were talking about maintaining that long view. I think it's an important thing that we have to keep that in mind. And it's very easy for us to get down in the, the nitty gritty of what's happening right now and forget about the future. You know, how many organizations uh, missed out uh, because of advances in technology? How many organizations tried to deny the power of social media? So, you know, all these things are, are really vital for us to keep that long view in mind. Absolutely. You know, and some of this also has to relate to how much information do I need in order to make a decision? Mm -hmm. uh, I had worked with a nonprofit over the past, you know, probably five years. It's been a little while since I worked with them. We spent the greater part of two years waiting for enough research to come in before we were ever able to make any decisions. That's not good collective leadership. And I own part of that piece, too, having served on that committee. Um, some of this is art and some of this is science. And it's being able to find the right balance between the two. Um, and again, hopefully some of these actions we talked about today will just be good reminders um, of how to be more purposeful and more intent, not only with your communication, but really just in your leadership uh, behavior. That's great. Folks, if you want to learn more about what Dave's talking about, what we're sharing today, check out from Business Expert Press, The Art of Responsible Communication, Leading with Values Every Day. And Dave, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, what are the easiest ways for people to connect with you? Uh, sure. Probably the best way would be to, to, to reach out to me on Twitter if that's a platform that you use. Uh, my username is at R-E-M-U-N-D, so just my last name. Um, they're also welcome to hop onto the Oregon website and, and, and track me down via email. Um, I am a classic introvert, so I am not currently blogging, but I've had lots of folks ask me to start blogging. So hopefully, maybe this summer I'll break out of my shell and be a little bit more transparent and start doing that. Folks, I'm certain he will. I'm certain that he will. I, I've seen the quality of this man's writing, and, and I know that the world needs more of it. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a, a pleasure to be able to dig into some of these important topics, to think about what does it look like for us as leaders to be responsible in our communication, and to think about the importance of accessibility, responsiveness, and transparency as we lead our organizations going forward. Really pleased to have you in. Thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to having you with us Thursday night, hashtag nonprofit chat, 9 p.m. You can join us and be part of that conversation. Have a great day. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.